Thanks, John, for that. Now, dear McCarthy, McCarthy and Associates, it's up to me today. Dear morning to you. Very good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us there. A lot going on out there, but uh, we have somebody who was on to us yesterday, kind of bothered and irate as well. Uh, I have a life assurance saving plan for 10 years and hardly made any money. What should I do? Should I keep it or should I ditch it? Um, they want to know. Well, in my opinion, those type of savings plans are not good value. They don't seem to perform and there's costs involved, obviously, you paying a management charge. I would just suggest two things. You could stop the, you should stop the premiums going into it anyway, right? If you're working in employment and you haven't got an AVC, you should avail of an AVC because you'll get full tax relief on those premiums. So that would be a very cost-effective way of saving that money on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. You could then maybe, depending on the balance, the size of the balance, you could possibly maybe take the money out of that and make a lump sum investment in something else that would be likely to be more productive. So I would just say the best way to address this is a split of t- a tactic. Split the premiums um, and the pr- and the principle that's within the policy and do something different with both, like what I mentioned. Mm. So, um, yeah, but as regards taking out these new policies, I would just warn people, I do not think they're good value and I don't think they're worthwhile. Keith, oh, just, just one quick thing before we go on further. It was interesting to note the Bank of Ireland announced an expansion of 60 million in terms of bringing up, upgrading a lot of their branches, but also their ATM network across the country. And why am I mentioning that? It's because, like we mentioned only a couple of weeks ago, as you know, the government's legislation about protecting cash and, and encouraging yeah, yeah, ATMs. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see that a major institution is taking a step like this. It reinforces, I suppose, um, the service that they're providing. In other words, we're, we're still dealing with bricks and mortar, which people want. Every, we keep thinking and hearing everything is online, online, online. No, they're committing to their branches that you can walk in. They're committing to cash, obviously, by improving their ATM network. And I think two of the branches that are going to be upgraded in Galway, one is Cork and the other one's Main or Cork, Gort and Main Guard Street. So, it, you know, again, it just reinforces the government's policy about mm. um, uh, cash and, and it's here to stay. It's interesting. It's inter- 60 million is a big investment by Bank of Ireland. Yeah, well, again, it's back to, you know, they're the mortars the pi- here one of the to pillar stay. banks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, again, somebody was on, again, I sent it to you as well. I want to buy a second property to rent, and I have 40% of the purchase price in cash. Uh, I will finance the balance with the mortgage. Should I get a higher loan and invest some of the cash instead? No. no. Oh, we said that together. <laughs> Great minds think alike. No, um, basically... As you know, listener, interest rates are an all-time high in terms of mortgages, even though they're likely to go down for later on this year. But it's a very expensive thing to fund uh, purchase of an investment through borrowings now. And if you have the 40%, that means that obviously you're only going to be paying a much lower level of interest on the balance and that the rent will probably more than cover it, obviously, including principal. So, you know, it's the best use of your money is to... Put that towards the house and don't think that you're going to get a better return on some of that 40%, which he has to put anywhere because a bank will only lend him maybe depending on Mm -hmm. the the level of earnings, maybe, you know, 75% or something like that. Put that amount towards the property. It's the best use. But I was reading the papers at the weekend, so I was, Dave, and... um Landlord, which is effectively what this person is going to become, has become a landlord then at that stage. But they pay tax on all of that. 
Oh, well, you pay tax. You know what they say, taxes and death, Keith. You pay tax on anything you make. So rental rental income is taxed at your marginal rate, which is whatever your highest rate of tax is. And usually for a lot of people who are landlords, because they would have other income and they may or may not, but usually most of them are in the higher tax bracket. So yeah, it's 40% plus you would see and all that. But can they write off the... Can they write off, you know, if, if they're paying back, we say they're getting €1,000 a month for it or 12 or whatever they're getting. And can they write off expenses against that and then pay oh, tax yeah. on the balance? There's a variety of things they can write off. They can write off the interest in the mortgage. They can write off certain expenses they occur on the property, management fees, um, repairs that they undertake in the property. So there is a calculation done before you, when you're making your submission and your tax return um, for this rental income. And there are a number of things that you can deduct off it. So yes, deductions are something you, you should be doing. It's not just a question of taxing the rent that's coming in and that's the end of it. That's okay. Um, Dave, I recently had a problem with getting credit and discovered that the lender I had applied to turned me down because of a bad credit rating of somebody with a similar name. Is this a common occurrence? I wouldn't say it's a common occurrence in my experience. Maybe it is. I haven't really come across it, but I've heard about it. Um, and sometimes I, I did hear of a case a number of years ago where exactly like this, this somebody with a similar name but also living in the, in the in the same area you know which had a you know say for example we all know in rural Ireland we would have people who have addresses in townlands mm. and you might have a Keith Finnegan in Caltra and you might have another Keith Finnegan in Caltra whatever right God so, loves them yeah so the thing about it is is that um, and, ver- and sometimes the post gets mixed up Mm-hmm. But in this situation, obviously, um, the credit institution didn't, when they were filing, the um, history on the ICB, the credit bureau, um, they didn't they didn't turn around and actually put in, a, obviously, a, a fully detailed submission. So you need to go back to that institution. You need to make sure they correct it straight away. Um, and also they correct the history straight away. In other words, not just the entries going forward, but the history. There's no point in going back to the the central credit register who holds this. They are only uh, an information outlet. They do not change credit history. Uh, is this a good time to invest money? I've been, uh, I have some money I don't need and I've been sitting on it for two years without doing anything with it. Um, financial decision, this caller wants to know, what should it be? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think one of the things I always say to people about fin- the financial domain and their finances is indecision can be a very expensive thing. What do we mean by that? Not deciding to progress something or procrastinating. So, for example, in this case, this person has money that they want to invest and they haven't invested. They've been stuck maybe in the moment about making a decision. And in this, they say two years, you know, and what have you missed in those two years? You've missed the possibility of getting a return on your money. And I'm talking about something outside of bank deposits. So I would just say that in terms of is it a good time? First of all, it is always a good time to invest money if you're sitting there doing nothing for you. That's the yeah. first thing. Second thing is, if you're a person who is very conservative and likes to have an investment that would have full capital protection, well, it is a very good time to invest now because we are seeing and have seen over the last year and will for the next, I think, this, throughout this year, options that are out there which have full capital protection if that's what you want. So... From the point of view of the conservative investment, it is a very good time. But for years, up to 18 months ago, the most you could get in capital protection was maybe 85 
Now you can get a full capital protection, so you're not taking any risk with your money, and whatever return okay. you get would be based on what the investment is linked to. Um, fair enough, Dave. Listen, thanks for joining us. Uh, Dave, we saw just there, they're finding it very frustrating uh, that my accountant sometimes doesn't, uh, does not seem to be able to deal with some of the general financial issues uh, that I have. Can you suggest who I should approach to handle them? Why should an accountant should be able to Well, no, in fairness, like to the accountants, the accountant in this situation, an accountant has a specific role. Sometimes people look for advice uh, outside of what their brief is. In other words, what's an accountant's brief? It's to prepare your accounts or tax returns and also provide you with tax advice. Some people go along and they want general financial advice on other matters, and sometimes an accountant might make a stab at it. Other times they will give opinions which are not correct, but that's not their role. You know, you don't go to a solicitor asking him for advice on how you should sell your house, for argument's sake. He's got a role to look after the legals of selling that house. Mm -hmm. So who would you go to if you want general advice? It's a person like me, right? Mm -hmm. So... uh, I wouldn't criticise the accountant in this case. I think, you, listener, you're asking them to do something that's not their brief and the accountant should have told you that. Mm. All right, uh, Dave McCarthy, McCarthy & Associates and Wood Keith, thank you for joining us uh, today and you can get in contact with Dave on 091 566 of a question about credit unions coming in, I'll give it to you uh, for two weeks' time, Dave. Thank you indeed for joining us today in the programme. Quick commercial break, we're back after these. <laughs> Now, a very good morning to you. Arsery and Valle, indeed, uh, the plays is, uh, they're coming to the Hallamora, my call, in this coming Saturday the 3rd and Sunday the 4th of um, February for uh, the Bank Holiday Weekend. Hard to get your head around the Bank Holiday Weekend in February, isn't it? Just Christmas is not that far gone. Mary Duffy sits after me today. Mary, good morning and good morning to you. Thanks for joining yeah, good us. Good morning, Keith. Talk um, to us. You've, you've got a special weekend, so you have. Indeed we have. Um, Ashdori and Wella are staging two plays in, as you said, in Hallamor Skelwakunyan. Uh, one is a play, Askeilge, Fuishiv, written by John B. Keane, the famous playwright, and the only play he wrote in Askeilge. Really? Yes, and um, it's a, a comedy of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it um, depicts, we'd say, life in Ireland in the 50s with immigration and all that entailed. Hardship. Hardship, oh, definitely. And, you know, poverty in our country. But, like, it's funny, there's a great wit in it. Now, um, our main character goes to England and gets a job on the buildings on the outskirts of London and sends home money every week to his wife and children. Now, she doesn't want to leave the old country and go to live in England, so she stays there, he goes home, Every year, a number of times. Now, which is reality in the in the fifties. To us, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they had to, and the money was sent home every week. They had, and the children had to be the a lot of children, and um, you know they had to be looked after and supported. Now, his life becomes complicated, so. I can, I won't go no, into that. No, don't go into that, no, no. No. And what night is that play on then, uh, there, there, It's on the two nights. Okay. Um, both plays are on the two nights. Wow. Saturday the 3rd, uh, starting at 8pm, starting with the Kanga, you'll get the Fuishev, and again Sunday the 4th, starting with the Kanga, you'll get at 8 o'clock. And how long is that uh, production? Um, it's um, more or less an hour, 45 uh, sorry, 55 minutes, I'd say, an hour, really. And then you'll take a break. And what's the second play then? Uh, the second play is The Two Loves of Gabriel Foley. 
Oh, by Kiri. Oh, it's a comedy. It's uh, um, uh, lovely. <laughs> if you want to spend the night laughing, <laughs> definitely you will uh, mm. with uh, that one. And you will also with Friship. Now, um, Gabriel Foley lives with his elderly mother. And he hasn't been very successful in love, much to his frustration and, of course, to his mother's frustration, who wants to see him settle down before she shuffles off the mortal coil. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, he meets upmarket and posh Hazel Myers mm-hmm. and joins the drama group in order to get to know her better and to romance her. Now... His life becomes complicated as well. <laughs> and there's a, an unusual ending, so you must come and see it. And what are the tickets then? So can they buy tickets for the Irish uh, and English? Or no, com- the two of them combined. The tickets for both mm-hmm. are 15 euros each are for a family of four. Great uh, value. Two children. It is great value, yeah. Uh, for a family of four, 40 euros you know, oh. for two children and two parents. And for those that don't understand the Irish language, is it easy? Would it be easy? To uh, it, it is. It's easy. They, they get the story. Mm. Um, really, I, I remember last year meeting a lady who had been in England most of her life. And uh, we were doing the Tinkera Boy by Johnny Cole Wyke. Mm. And she was in tears telling me she could follow the story, even wow. though she hadn't spoken Irish much since she was in primary school. Where can people get the tickets then on this? Um, they, they can, they're online, actually. And as well as that, they can get it from uh, Anya, uh, Anya Tool. She's in charge of tickets. And um, I, I'll leave you her number. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so um, Breach Connealy also. And where online do they go to? The, what would they look up for online? We'll, we'll get the details for it and give it yeah. to them later on, so we will uh, from there. It, it, it's a big undertaking, and how much of a production team do you have? Um, I suppose between the two plays, we've about 20. Wow. You know, we've about 20 members entirely, and then we've... Um, the Our producer is Nolik McCunnell, um, a former professor of Irish in um, UCG uh, um, and uh, the two of the cast produced the English play. Um, do, you have to, do you have to build the, the stage and all? We do. We have to build the stage every year which is an awful drawback really. Mm. You know, we, we really need um, community centre. With a stage with the stage, but I, I think it may be in the pipeline now mm. after all those years. Now, um, I would like to thank um, the of Skelwellinu for allowing us to practice in the school and her board of management. And also I would like to thank Terry Kavna of Skelwira Michaelan and his board of management for allowing us the hall. Mm. Um, you know, for those two nights uh, to uh, stage the plays. And, and I would also like to thank our sponsors Faras um, Nagailge um, Radio also Galway County Council and of course our patrons who are brilliant supporters on an annual basis with on an annual basis yeah. and who come back year after year so uh, I'd just like to say Gurumila Mila Mahagat to them all and Gurumila Mahagat Keith for allowing me this opportunity 
Uh, oh, we just have a lovely message in here. Uh, Gelga Mycullen uh, would like to wish Ashtaria and Valia and Mycullen every success in their forthcoming productions of Wersha uh, in Skullwara this Saturday and Sunday. So the nice, nice, nice kind of requests uh, coming in for you there. Oh, lovely. Thank you. So just go along again. So you don't want to get there good and early. Get there for about half seven-ish, quarter yes, to eight. Yes, so that you'll have the seat, you know, you'll have a good seat on that. And have a good seat. And be uh, relaxed and, and enjoy. Briefly, Coley, Gavin and Junior and Senior, they're all involved with you. They're very involved. Yeah. We wouldn't have a stage but for them. So I want to say, good Mila Maha, good more to... Coley Sinchrach and Coley Oak and the, his other, he has a couple other uh, guys with him, I think, this year helping, so. Um, it's a big job, so it is to create. It is a big job. It's a big job to create stage, so it is, it really is. It is. And listen, well done, Mary, but if you want to get further details, you know where Mary and the wonderful Tom Duffy are, and uh, go to them, they'll uh, put you in the right direction. Yeah, well, uh, I'll give my number on air. Please, uh, yeah. Uh, if anybody wants tickets, um, 086 87 1763 uh, 086-8717-163 for uh, yes. tickets and, and go along from there right. and needs to be a sellout success to cover all the costs and everything that are in it uh, but uh, thanks indeed for joining thanks Mary for joining us uh, today thank you Keith. that's Mary Duffy joining us uh, there's just some comments coming in to us uh, today uh, as well and uh, Keith it's the scenes on the TV and social media that are turning people from joining the Gardaí the army should be more involved and not letting the Gardaí get all the abuse I have a family member of Angarda Shirkona, in Angarda Shirkona and I fear for them and this caller said and another caller said please find out the uh, details for the online tickets alright and um, we'll get to the uh, online ticket details there uh, but uh, the number to, to book those tickets with Mary, you can do so on 086-871-7163. That number again is 086-871-7163. And other calls come in. We'd like to wish Mary Duffy and all in Ashton and Valley the very best of luck this weekend with the drama uh, on stage this weekend in my Cullen. And that comes from Kushta Antushti, Skull Valley, and you were there as well. So they're all coming in today. That's it for um, this section of the programme. I want to take a short commercial break and then we're coming back indeed shortly um, with uh, history. So we are with uh, Dr. Christy Kniff. Stay tuned. We're looking at history talks. And Dr. Christy Kniff joins us on the history of St. Bridget's Day as we head in to a bank holiday weekend. Stay tuned for that and more to come. John Spock speaks indeed to Christy. Stay tuned. <laughs> And a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. We're looking at the history of St. Bridget now, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined in studio by Christy Kniff, a community archaeologist, now retired. Christy, good morning. Good morning to yourself. She plays an important part in Irish history, uh, Christy. There's no doubt about that. Take me back, and, and take me back to where's the first recordings of St. Bridget. Well, I suppose St. Bridget is an unusual uh, lady, insofar as that Bridget is, uh, she, she's first of all regarded as a pagan goddess. Mm-hmm. So she's a, pre, a pre-Christian entity, in that sense. Uh, a deity, if you like, in the pre-Christian Celtic world. But then she also is regarded as an Irish, early Irish saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an, an unusual thing and maybe not unusual because uh, in many ways the church itself, you know, when, when, when uh, Patrick and others came to Ireland first, the first thing to set about doing was actually uh, uh, converting what was the pagan church. And in doing that, they took on a lot of pagan ways and a lot of holy wells and stuff like that, the things that we associate with saints. But uh, Bridget herself is 
she's known about right from the beginning. Bridget was there shortly after Patrick. So while maybe not directly a contemporary, she was clearly a, a saint of Patrick's time. So she was part of the, the, the tradition of the early Christian church. She was regarded as a Christian saint at that stage. Mm. And we all have heard the story of her laying her cloak upon the ground and watching it grow and grow and grow, and she was able to build her own part of the church from there. Yeah. Well, I suppose that in a way, it's shown one of the, whether we should call it a miracle at that stage or whether we should regard it as something that was magical. It's probably both. But it possibly is part of our pagan magic that she was able to perform. Uh, she actually went to the King of Leinster, looking, this now was as um, a Christian, you know, an early Christian uh, founder. Mm -hmm. uh, she went to the King of Leinster, looking for a small bit of ground on which to build a church for herself. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't overly uh, excited about this idea, given away land. So he, I suppose, flippantly said to her that, uh, you know, whatever ground her cloak could cover, she could have that. And of course, she took off her cloak, laid it on the ground, and it spread out. And in a sense, what it did, it, it probably gave her the property and the territories that she was going to control, that eventually was going to lead her to be able to build uh, Kildare, the great cathedral, what became the great cathedral of Kildare, the church of Kildare, um, Kildare, the, 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 the Oak Church, or the Church of Oak in mm. Kildare. And then her associations in Galway. I know there's a lot of reference to her in different parts of Galway as well, but Loch Ray especially. Loch Ray, uh, Loch Ray is, is interesting because, uh, and uh, what you find right through the county is that we have uh, some early references, not very, very early, but we have a lot of later references. But Loch Ray has both. Uh, first of all, in Loch Ray, uh, you have uh, a place name, Gary Breja. And Gary Bridges simply translates as the garden or the grounds of Bridges or St. Bridges. And in Gary Bridges, we have a medieval church. Now, the church that we see there today is the ruins of a late medieval church. But we can take it with everything else that's in place that there was very likely an early Christian church there or a church maybe from the earlier uh, period. It's just outside what was the medieval town of Lochray, outside the borough of Lochray. Um, so that church is dedicated to St. Bridget. And then directly across the road from Gary Bridget and the church, you have a holy well dedicated to St. Bridget. So in many ways, you have a full Bridgetine package there, if you like. You have a church where you can worship St. Bridget, where Bridget herself would have been the, the central component, where she's the native saint, because uh, uh, what you often find with churches that survive especially around medieval towns and that, that they don't actually have a Gaelic name. They don't take on the names of Gaelic saints. They take on, uh, if you like, the European saints or the international saints, we'll say like James and John and that, that came in with the Anglo-Normans. But uh, this church would appear to, to, to have been there before uh, the foundation of uh, the, the borough of Lochray. And then, uh, uh, as I mentioned, you also have the Holy Well. So the well itself would have been part of a pilgrimage tradition. Now, we don't know how extent or extensive sorry, that tradition would have been. It's, it's impossible to know at this stage because there's very, very little written about it. But what is important, there was a well there close to this cluster that was, is associated with St. Bridges. So people would have visited that on St. Bridges Day as part of a, at least a local uh, patron or, or tradition. So it's, it's associated with pilgrimage. And then the, the big thing that's associated with Loch Ray is that the Carmelites... Uh, held a shrine, a shoe shrine. Um, I love the little uh, brass shrine, proper 
sized shrine. It's now in the mm. National Museum. Um, the late great George Petrie of the 19th century, a great antiquarian of the 19th century, actually collected it, uh, as it says, from somebody in Loch Ray. We can more or less assume that it was from the Carmelites. And that shrine, uh, you know, it's a very elaborate shrine. Uh, it has a date on it of 1410. And in Latin, it refers to St. Bridget as the patron, a patron saint of Kildarensis, of Kildare. So, you know, it's the 1410 date is, is in many ways a reflection back to that early 15th century period. But uh, Rylan O'Flynn, um, formerly working for the National Museum, but a great scholar, uh, Rhinel looked at it and he more he dated it. He, he sees it as more 16th century in date. But when you look at it, you can see that there was modifications, repairs and different things. There's bits missing in that. But what is important is uh, when you examine it, you have the, uh, the inscription. But you also have on it, you have the head of St. John the Baptist and you have a crucifixion on it and you also have uh, little clasps, some of them damaged, that would have held glass stones, uh, glass stones that you could actually look through. They'd be more like magnifying glasses in, in their time, you know. And the function of that was to allow a person look at maybe a piece of what was regarded as St. Bridget's shoe. It's very unlikely that St. Bridget's shoe survived up until the 16th century and was housed in Loch Ray. But whether it was or it wasn't, it was believed that it was. And this is what you're talking about. You're actually talking about belief. And uh, in many ways to even ask the question, you know, and here's a question, did St. Bridget really exist as a, a Christian saint? It actually doesn't matter. The people believe she did. And uh, internationally, it was believed that she did. Because Bridges is not just to be found here in Ireland. She's not just to be found in Kildare. But she's actually to be found in every county in Ireland. She's found in Britain, all over England. And she's found all over Europe. Uh, I had the great, um, I suppose, it was just, just uh, one of those great uh, uh, moments when I went to Cologne Cathedral a few years ago. And within Cologne Cathedral, there's a small chapel dedicated to St. Bridget. And in that chapel... There's uh, an illustration or a, a drawing of St. Bridget, but not with her cross as we know it, with the St. Bridget's cross, which we regard as the typical attribute of Bridget, but actually with a cow. And that's very important because that was really, uh, I suppose, Bridget's great achievement, that she was one of these early people, as a, you know, even prior, to, prior to Christianity, as, as a pagan goddess, her function really was to ensure that... Uh, the cows, calves, that they gave milk, that the grass grew, uh, the first of uh, first of 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 um, February, mm. the pagan, the old pagan feast of Imbolc, you know, one of the important feast days of the year. When you're looking at the new year, spring, springing, spring is opening up, uh, the grass is beginning to grow. There's new hope for the year. It's all about fertility. It's all about the seasons, the starting of the year, the opening up of the light. And here you have Bridget as the goddess. That's looking after all of that. And then when she becomes a Christian saint, she's more or less doing the same thing. She's giving away the butter, she's giving away the milk. Uh, if any beggar comes to the door, she gives him something. And her father wasn't overly happy with any of this. But, you know, he, he wasn't going to manage her. She, this, this was a woman that was, that was driven. And she was a very powerful woman in a male-dominated church at the time. She was. She was. And she's generally, uh, which is an interesting thing, and... I suppose you have to look at it in several different ways, how she actually managed to hold that position. She was so strong, I suppose, the belief in Bridges was so strong, in Bridges as the, the goddess, in the powers of the goddess, 
that uh, the male, the patriarchal male church probably couldn't contain her. They were probably weren't capable of containing this person. Uh, she's, she was regarded as a bishop. And she was regarded as one of the three patron saints of Ireland. You have Patrick himself, generally shown, uh, certainly in some 16th century lithographs and that, you see Patrick shown with his patriarchal cross, you see Colum Kill shown with his crozier, but you see Bridget with him, and she also has a crozier. So she sh- she's in there and she's shown as a bishop. Mm. And that gives her, uh, you know, huge status. The fact that she's able to, uh, that she was regarded and held to be a bishop. And she was actually, um, in that light, she was sort of held to be a bishop right up until the the the, the uh, Synod of Kells, which was in 1152. It wasn't until then that eventually, the, if you like, the, the patriarchal church rectified the situation that a woman couldn't, uh, <laughs> you know, take over the role again. Uh, they, they, they closed that, that avenue, you know, the, the loophole that was there. Mm. And there are other references to Bridget outside of Lockray and Go as well, and all the Summon Tomb and out my Cullen side as well. It's right across the, the county as well. Absolutely. Well, um, when you go out, I suppose you go out, head out to my Cullen side, what you're going to have in the modern sense there is you actually have Bridget's Garden, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a modern uh, training and education centre around nature, around around what it was that Bridget herself was was, you know, was about mm-hmm. the whole thing of looking at nature, looking at the environment. Uh, if Bridges was with us today, or if we were following in Bridges' footsteps today, we'd we'd look a lot closer to nature. We'd be looking a lot closer to how our environment is behaving, uh, how it's actually surviving uh, the, the way that we're treating it in many ways. I suppose she was the first great environmentalist. But, uh, you know, we're looking back on her now as somebody that, that was uh, very unusual. But she was actually, she saw that you had to help people. She was probably a great socialist. There was a lot of things that Bridget was in her time, you know, that she was giving to the poor, that she was looking after people. But, as you say, there are other, uh, there are other sites out around Connemara. Um, there, there's, there, there's uh, I think it's Balnafad. Uh, you have St. Bridget's Church there. Now, how old that is, I don't really know. Uh, you know, the church that's there at the moment is, is a 19th century church, but how old the site is. Uh, back here in East Galway, you have uh, Creevy Bon, which, interestingly, is linked or, uh, you know, cl- close by uh, another Carmelite house. So you have the Carmelites in Loch Ray here, and you have St. Bridget's Shoe, and you have all that development of, of the pilgrimage around St. Um, uh, Bridget. But also with Creevy Bon, which is, uh, I suppose, it's just a few miles outside Shum. It's, it's near Barnajarg. Uh, you have a holy well and you have a sweat house beside it. And not too far from that then you have the religious, what survives of this small religious house of Carmelites. But what's actually interesting there is that uh, uh, that well is dedicated to St. Bridget. And if we examine the well itself, internally in the well on the back it's a circular well, so there's no back wall, but on the internal wall, if you like, uh, as you look into the well, there's um, uh, an effigy of a female saint believed to be St. Bridget. Now, I have never examined it. As one of the things that I hope to do, uh, I think it's one of those wells that you'd need somebody else with you because I don't want to disappear into a well. Uh, that should create a new history. Uh, and, and probably, uh, and of course, the one thing about wells is that once a well is desecrated, it dries up, so we don't want that to happen either. Uh, but um, that's an important uh, element. And then you have all of the, the windows and glass associated with St. Bridget. Um, in in, in Loch Ray again, 
we have three stained glass windows in the cathedral in Loch Ray with uh, bridges in there. One of them is uh, uh, a rose window, a small rose window in the Lady Chapel to the right of the, the high altar. Uh, and in that you have St. Patrick, you have St. Colum Kill, um, you have, I'm trying to remember now, the, the, but, but most importantly, you actually have St. Bridget in there with all these major male saints. So Bridges is in there in a more traditional manner. Um, that, that, that particular window, that was made by Michael Healy, wonderful uh, artist. Then you have another window in the cathedral in the sidewall um, by E.B. Hone. A wonderful, colourful window. Typically E.B. Hone stuff. Absolutely amazing uh, work. E.B. Hone was you know, an astounding artist like Healy. Uh, but E.B. Hone shows her there almost like the Virgin Mary in many ways. But she's shown with a basket in her hand and she's giving bread to a young girl. So this is all part, if you like, of, you know, her kindness to people, how she helps people, how she helps the stranger, how she helps the beggar and that. And then the final window, which I absolutely love, and a lot of people uh, probably think it's very austere. And this is a window by Patrick Pye in the porch. A lovely window. It's a very simple thing. It just simply shows a figure um, almost in abstract there's, there's no form to it it's, it's just a shape really the outline and the ledge does all the speaking and the colours do, does all the speaking if you like in the glass but what you have there is you have Bridget sitting at her desk and uh, the only way you can know as Bridget is the telltale is a small little St. Bridget's cross beneath to, to let you know this is Bridget's attribute or her modern attribute and that this is Bridget. So, uh, you know, she's well... And, and you, find her, you find her in churches all over the county. And, of course, then you find her in schools. You find her in St. Bridget's Hospital in Balanced Law, the, the, the Connacht Asylum. You know, so as a saint here in the county, her name is used over and over again. Mm. And, of course, we were the islands of Paddies and Biddies and that. Uh, Bridget was such a common name in Ireland. It was a very, very important name in Ireland. Mm. And I suppose the one thing that I never mentioned at all in, in, in what I said there was that when Bridget was uh, a bishop, how did she become a bishop? And that was probably the opening question you really had was, you know, how did this woman get to the status that she was holding her own up there with all of these, these males within what was a male-driven, dominated, patriarchal church? Well, there's, there's, there, there can be two answers. One is that she was such a powerful woman that she wasn't going to be held back, she wasn't going to be held down, that she believed in what she was doing, uh, that the people believed in her, and that she had the strength, if you like, to, to hold the bishop's crozier. The other uh, is um, something that's told in, a, in one of the early texts, is that when St. Mel, the bishop of Armagh, or not sorry, of Ardagh, sorry about that, but the bishop of Ardagh, when he was actually uh, uh, performing the ceremony, um, when 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 um, Bridges was becoming a nun, that he actually read the wrong text, and that the text that he read, and that the say that he was, uh, that he was, well, uh, the paraphrase to say that he was he was drunken, if you like, that he was intoxicated on the whole excitement of the affair, on that whole event, that he misread and he read the wrong text, and the text he read was actually the text to inaugurate a bishop, and by doing so. She was a bishop. She was officially a bishop. He had created her a bishop as opposed to a nun at that uh, ceremony. Now, of course, that's, that's quite 
patriarchal as well. Uh, it could be a way of explaining it, you know, within a patriarchal church, why a woman would or could become a bishop. Mm. And of course, uh, both uh, abbess, if she was an abbess, she carried a crozier. As a bishop, she carried a crozier. And in a lot of cases, the abbess or the abbot were every bit as powerful as the, 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 the bishop in their own uh, monasteries. And, you know, especially within monasteries where you had these large parukai, where you have these large extensive land, where you have other churches uh, that are, I suppose, uh, part of your uh, assemblage. Mm. So she, she was, and she, she was a very, very powerful lady. And so much so that she has survived right up until the present day. And she's taken on a new life. You know, Bridget is now a new uh, person. Uh, she'll be highly regarded within the feminist movement. So she, she really is a, a saint, a goddess, whatever, whatever you want to see her as. She really is that, but she has actually stood the test of time. And I suppose she's a great example as well for women, but also a great example for what we should be doing and how we should be looking at the church, society, everything that we do. You know, if we use her as an example... Um, uh, we'd have a, a far more tolerable society that we'd mm. be far more open to people. Uh, so I really think that she is one of the great examples that we have. And particularly given that we've now a bank holiday to celebrate St. Bridget's Day. Well, that's a very important thing. Um, that in itself is a, is, 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 is a big statement, you know, that we actually chose St. Bridget's Day. And of course, that has really come about I suppose because of the fact that uh, there has been such a strong force within uh, women's movements to 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 really highlight this 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 great lady, this great person. Like within the church herself, she was regarded as as Mary of the Gale. She was given the same reverence as as Our Lady. You know, and if that was happening within the church. Well, certainly within society, we should be giving her the due reverence as well as one of the great female uh, heroines, one of the great heroes of Ireland. Um, so I, I think it's a great thing that we actually have. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, the only thing is I'm retired now, so bank holidays don't mean as much. But, but, but it is an important way of marking it, and it means that she's put on the same pedestal in many ways or the same podium as Patrick. Mm. We have Patrick's Day, we now have Bridget's Day, This is a national... Day. Not that we need to go out and, and, and uh, uh, drown any shamrocks out because she wasn't engaged with shamrocks, but we certainly uh, should use it as a day that we can actually engage with what's around us, the environment, uh, with what's good about the world, with nature, with what it was that Bridget was about. Visit Holy Wells. Uh, as a matter of fact, it would be a lovely uh, thing to do to uh, visit a few wells with that associated with Bridget on St. Bridget's Day. And just look at, you know, what was, think about what was happening in the past and why they were there and how the functions and the people that collected there in the past. Mm. Christy Kniff, thank you for joining us on History Talks and Galway Talks. That's it for today. Somebody just texted in St. Patrick, baptised St. Bridget. Tomorrow, though, on the programme, six uh, Hope for Leem events are taking place this weekend. We've detailed that the 2024 Galway Cathedral Novena has just been announced. Connacht Tribune headlines with Dave O'Connell. Connacht's Mountain Run for Cree. We have a song for Bridget, a new singer by Mick Brown. It's a celebration of the Celtic goddess and Christian Saint. We've got Culture Corner with John Morley and St. Bridget's Day. Hours to Protect also there as well. And we've got Music Mornings with Porrick Jack coming all the way from Inishmore to join us uh, tomorrow in studio. That is it for today from your sweetie Keith Finnegan, John Morley, who produced...
Cuiva who assisted and Siobhan took your comments. Have a good and a safe Wednesday. It's kind of mucky out there. It's a little misty and foggy and that. Just take it handy on the roads. Talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Ronan is next.